What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Apartment 113 podcast, where we talk with cool folks in the cannabis and psychedelics industry to learn about their projects and celebrate their successes. My name is Rob Sanchez, and for episode three today, we're joined by John Manlove, the CEO and founder of Apex Trading. Apex Trading elevates wholesale operations by providing a platform for buyers and sellers to connect and manage their orders. Apex Trading empowers brands and improves customer relationships with branded storefronts and more. Check out more at apextrading.com and enjoy the show. How's it going today, man? Welcome to the show. Hey, Rob. Doing well, man. Thanks for having me. How are you? Dude, living the dream here. Living the the Vegas dream. The weather down here is... um, really in that prime spot right now and uh nice and 70s you know high 60s jealous i'm in portland it's supposed to snow tonight so we're on the other <laughs> side of it today yeah we can bring that dynamic yeah <laughs> that's right <laughs> no i think it's it's excellent to have you on the show man and talk about something that's near and dear to my heart and career with a wholesale cannabis software that apex provides yeah thanks uh thanks for having me man yeah i mean we're uh you know gosh it's been wild i'm going on almost nine years now specific in wholesale cannabis so kind of turned a a passion and in kind of early i guess late childhood i'd say you know kind of teenage years into a career man and it's it's awesome to find myself here at this juncture and kind of crazy crossroads of the industry and and uh everything going on you know it is pretty weird to think about you know building forging a career in cannabis you know even just a decade or two ago Right. In high school or growing up, if you would mention that it was like, I mean, you could if you wanted to move out to the humble woods or, uh, you know, a trailer out in the middle of nowhere. But it wasn't a real business, an an industry. It's something else seeing how fast it's just exploded, man. Cash crop. Yeah, it is, man. I mean, gosh, I'm from I grew up in Branson, Missouri. Right. So Missouri, one of the newer adult use recreational markets. Right. But going back in high school when I was introduced to cannabis, you know, and then you know, through my college years of, you know, being a, a pretty, you know, a user uh, of cannabis products, you know, I was very, it was always one where you're, you know, got the hidden compartments, you're worried about this, right? You're always making <laughs> sure you're not speeding, you never know. And I've actually got arrested for cannabis when I was in college. So, you know, I even was on the other side of it, right? And paid my dues for, for that. And so, you know, it's kind of wild to imagine, you know, when I was in college, you'd, if someone asked me like, hey, you know, you're going to, have a cannabis startup one day, I would have laughed and be like, no way, man. Like, that's just not me. You know, like I, yeah. I didn't, I was never really like a, a cannabis dealer or anything. I'd hook my buddies up here and there, but it was never something I was making money off of. It never was, it was more of a hobby and something I enjoyed. I wanted to spread the love to the people, you know? And so yeah, right. I was like the only person who could find kind bud or KB back in the day. So it was all, I was the hookup, you know, the guy who could find the good green. And so I was always I used to think of it yeah, as now we're, now we're running an e-commerce platform and I've moved, gosh, I mean, through the app, since I've started probably a billion dollars worth of wholesale cannabis, you know? So it's, it's wild to think about how far, I mean, just the society's come, but also, you know, business, you know, and legitimate legitimization of the, uh, of the, uh, of the plant, you know, which is awesome. Right. Right. Being able to like facilitate that. I always thought about it more as facilitation, you know, I could facilitate a deal for you or arrange an acquisition, 
during those dark days. And yeah. now that it's all above the board, it, it is pretty wild, man. And the quality that some some of these grows and these facilities are able to create in their concentrates is wild. So a marketplace where folks can find new brands or where brands can find new potential vendors is definitely a niche that, that needed filling. Did you experience marketplaces like this outside of cannabis first, or is this really where you got started or kind of how did apex evolve to its current state yeah man i mean it all starts back for you know our story you know my story and in, in, you know e-commerce or marketplace camps you know really starts back in 2014 you know 2014 i was working in portland i live in portland oregon and i was working for an environmental firm where i was kind of running you know large uh industrial waste disposal cleanup super fun sites you know kind of really kind of dirty job right i was i was the con i was the guy overseeing it all so i wasn't the one in the in the trenches but you know that was what i was doing and you know in 2014 i had uh, established a pretty good career up here in the pacific northwest built a you know pretty large company and um at that time you know i got called you know two of my college buddies called me like hey john like we're gonna start the amazon of, of wholesale cannabis you know and and I was like, okay, well, that sounds interesting, right? Who doesn't ever, who doesn't want to be the next Amazon, right? Uh, Fool yeah. me there. And on the <laughs> other side was like, hey, man, that's something I like. You know, I really am, you know, more passionate about cannabis and this plant and what it can do for society compared to, you know, cleaning up hazardous waste, which I think has very important <laughs> implications for our our world and our health. But at the same time, it wasn't the clean, it wasn't always the sexiest job. Yeah, going into a grow would seem like a hell of a lot more fun, you know, and so. You know, they recruited me and I, I helped start a company called Traded. And Traded was the first B2B marketplace ever in cannabis, you know. And so the goal there was like, hey, we keep seeing this. It was back in the, you know, pre-prop 215 days. So it's back in the medical days of California, right? And we kept seeing like, hey, there's this big fragmented market between Northern and Southern California. You know, being able to implement technology to connect these rural or different regions of a state together in a marketplace, an aggregate marketplace to efficiently, you know, buy and sell products made a lot of sense, right? No one was doing it, right? I mean, adult use had just passed in Colorado. So we were at the very, very beginnings of what this industry has become at that time. And so I came on as the head of sales, head of product, ultimately became the CEO of that business. Um, and so that was my jump into e-commerce marketplaces. And it was right into cannabis, right? Right at the beginning stages of it. Really um, saw the wild, wild west. For, yeah, uh, you know, and I got to live yeah. it. You know, we ran a, <laughs> you know, we spun up a distribution company in California. So we were doing plant touching and running trucks and, handling lots of cash and doing that whole thing right before adult use. So this was oh, the old, yeah. old days, right? I had to leave a grow with a decoy backpack a few times. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right, you know? So we did that. And then, you know, we were, we started to scale and grow the business. Unfortunately, that one didn't work out for a matter of reasons. And, you know, um, you know, in 2018, early 2018, I branched off and I started Apex, you know? And again, kind of this idea of facilitating commerce in the wholesale supply chain, but we really wanted to take like a different approach. You know, we have a marketplace and marketplaces are great for discovery, right? Of finding new products and brands or finding that deal. But what we really recognize is what was missing in the e-commerce space for wholesale was brands had no ability to own a buyer experience, right? They didn't know that. So if you're sending a buyer to a marketplace, they're automatically seeing all your competitors race into the bottom. There's no loyalty. You know, it's a tougher system unless you're filtering for lowest price. First. Yeah, yeah. No, unless you're Wana or you're that high demand, you know, in that state of wild or something that commands that buying power from the consumer. If you're in a variable skew, a cultivation extraction market, you're getting beat up as a commodity more on chopping up, you know, potency price in a marketplace. And so we really wanted to provide that part of the market 
the ability to not be on a marketplace and own the buyer experience through custom tailored storefronts. So giving them full control of a buyer experience and then accounting for all the nuances in the sales product process. So prices, discounts, products, promos, you name it. Then giving them the ability to really not only own that buyer experience, but giving their team great tools to go hunt and build straight, strong, lasting relationships with buyers. And that was really our vision with Apex is, is wanting to give that brand more control and then starting to build a more sophisticated operation back in that really took into account more of the seller. And we just feel like the marketplace is all they care about is the buyer, right? And the sale is great, but hmm. the seller still needs to fulfill an order efficiently. And that's where we've really tried to focus is giving a more, I think, a, a more robust tool set for operators uh, to really address the cost of sale and the cost of fulfillment, not just getting that sale, right? It's all about the other costs. And I think businesses in cannabis today very quickly waking up to the cost of getting right. that sale, not just the value of the sale, right? There's a big difference there. And before it's like, just get me the sale, right? And I'll figure it out. Now it they're going, overlooked, oh my maybe. gosh, prices are down. I got to figure out how to produce that same quality of product for less, right? And often the inputs aren't getting cheaper for the grower, right? The newts aren't cheaper. The electricity yeah. isn't cheaper. The water's not cheaper. The lease isn't cheaper. Nothing's cheaper. What it is, is the labor, how can you control labor? That's the easiest area to control it, especially the wholesale. And that's where we've tried to really focus our, our tools. Right. Right. Hit really hitting that, that, uh, problem from both, from both the buyer and the seller perspectives is definitely solves that job to be done. And, um, and bringing in some of that, some of the technology early to the cannabis space was it was needed so badly, so badly in the 5,000 square foot grow where I really cut my teeth as a cultivator in Denver our water recipes were written on a whiteboard and our plant schedules were painter's tape with a Sharpie marker on each tray. And you know, if you spilled too much water on those trays, that, that tape was gone and you had to kind of guess uh, even what strain it was. It was another world, man, compared to the software that I've been building now with Viridian or 365 and these folks in the past, the technology really starts to solve that process, that, that problem, especially bringing in some things from, you know, outside the cannabis industry like some of the, the buyer and marketplace experiences that were needed so poorly. I think that you mentioned that um, with cost being so important, before getting into cannabis, I actually worked in ERPs for manufacturing and non-cannabis goods. Really weird things like stickers or windshields or the record weird one I did was funeral goods. So we manufactured urns and things like that. So seeing the manufacturing process outside of cannabis and then seeing how everyone was really doing it in the industry was kind of like how long before this, before the connection is made that these are the same. And some of these software companies have tried to make the, make the bridge and bring those feature sets. But I think it's honestly just taken time for the industry to evolve and for folks to be ready for that kind of nuance, like digging into cost accounting and really finding out the nuance, like the, the checks and balances of your machines, your fixed assets, how long are employees working on stuff or how long is work in progress inventory really work in progress. There's yeah. so much that uh, it's starting to come down to the bottom line as margins reduce with the current state of the industry. Yeah, I agree. You know, I think the big thing that like, and this is like just the nature of a space that's evolving this fast that traditional tech and traditional industry that services these bigger things won't touch it right and so what happens well startups have to fill that void right <laughs> yep. and we all do our best and we're, and we're building these planes as we're flying them right like in in the industry not only are we building it but the 
I would say that the climate that we're flying in is ever evolving every single day, right? And so you can imagine all of these challenges that happen, right? And I think what it's created in cannabis is a lot of bespoke solutions, right? And there's a few all-in-one solutions, but not a, but the all-in-one, they tend to not deliver the best in class, right, of, of a particular area. They maybe are strong right. in one area, but weak in others, right? And then or you just also be have, obscenely expensive for all-in-one. Yeah, all in one. <laughs> and then you have all these bespoke ones, right, that don't talk to each other. And so you have data here and you have data here and you have data here and it's warehoused in different areas, right? And so business owners and operators, number one is, you know, your more legacy operator really doesn't understand nor value the data enough to interpret and spend the time to have that inform their decisions, right? They're just kind of growing and or producing and doing what they've always done from the illicit market to legal market. And they're there running their business and that's how they're going to run, right? And the, for their own, some will be successful and probably a lot of them won't, right? On the yeah, other side, right. there's the people who are like, oh, we've now implemented all these tech, but now we need to try and get everything into one area to understand it, right? And this is where I think we're starting to see specifically more on the West Coast or on the East Coast. I think it's happening more and more to the West, but really on the East Coast, you're starting to bring in operators who are starting to pull in all of this data and all these things and assess systems and think about how do we have a vertical solution? How do we get all this data into one area, uniform it, sanitize it so we can actually make decisions? I think that's the challenge that all these operators face, right? It's not only is software bespoke, but their own operations are all over the place, right? Each state, it's its own license, its own entity, its own bank account, its own insurance, its own this and that, right? And so it's really hard for them to say, okay, not only are we trying to connect all this tech that we're using across all these markets, but now we're actually trying to connect the markets that are on a different seed to sale, on a different point of sale, on a different thing. And so I think Maybe it's a different compliance even. It's so immensely challenging for the operators and also for the tech providers, right, to sell into that and have the right thing. And I think that ours, you know, and that's where for us, it's like just you have to stay focused and you got to find the right people. But it isn't really interesting to see how like data, technology, and systems are quickly evolving in the cannabis space, right? Especially as we start to see more sophisticated operators or true corporate people come in that are used to having a full SAP or whatever that is. And they're like, this doesn't work. You got to have that, <laughs> right? This isn't okay. And I think they're starting to set a new standard for both what tech companies have to deliver as well as how businesses are going to ultimately have to operate and remain competitive, right? As, as we think about. Right. To keep that profit and maintain those those slim margins for now or to be able to differentiate, you really need to be able to maximize that that value created, um, maximize everything, really. I'm I'm in the middle of my Lean Six Sigma Green Belt certification. That's all about like process optimization, eliminating waste and things like that. And it's wild to see some of the processes like in the past and how much could have been eliminated by looking at workflows or just simple steps for a process and how much that can compound over time. And for uh, bespoke solutions, there's always seems like something that compounds over time as well. As you realize you need to fill another niche in your business, you end up looking for you know, the right product. There's going to be like three or four. Then you start comparing those features or working with them. But it seems like the ability to integrate or to talk across those spokes is really the like the secret sauce. Um, does Apex have an integration uh, option or an API to integrate with as well to kind of yeah. connect some of that data and, and complete some of the buyer-seller picture? Yeah, absolutely. You know, from our side, you know, we do have an open API. So we have a lot of clients, right? Especially, you know, both from a retail or from a brand side that will start using our API to pull orders into 
a Tableau, a Power BI, some more enhanced data reporting system that then is driving actions throughout the organization, right? Tying it to those solutions so they can have a live order feed that's now informing other systems or other departments, right? We have integrations with the seed and sale tracking system so people don't have to like go from our app to metric, right? They can do everything that they need to do in metric within our application for wholesale, right? We have a third-party logistics integration. So if you get an order and you have a logistics partner in a state, you can connect within the app and assign it to them and have all the data route directly to logistics partner, which then through the API can pull all that into their fleet management system, right? And so we're in accounting, right? QuickBooks, right? Various things. So we're always constantly looking at ways in which we can power more efficiency, greater efficiency within the wholesale supply chain for both the buyers and sellers, as well as then starting to think about the next generation of software, which I really feel is not, how are we doing integrations to create efficiency, but then how are we getting the data to drive actions or automation within an organization, right? And that's right. So one thing to just have that data. <laughs> it's one thing to have that data and quite another to make actionable decisions or to be able to discern why you're measuring that, not necessarily for the sake of measuring, right? To, to, to determine, you know, sell-through rate or more than top-selling brands, right? Maybe even seasonal things or demographic data you can pull back and, and pull together. Yeah, and I think that's what I think on the horizon of technology in this space, right? I think one of the more exciting things that we'll start to see, you know, probably over the next 12 to 24 months, right, is starting, I think what what I've found is that there's really only a few companies out there, specific to wholesale, there's only three of us that even serve the entire market, right? And I think what people are quickly realizing that have really serviced the consumer side, so point of sale, loyalty, that's where so much tech and so much innovation has been driven in cannabis you know, um, lately, is that they're starting to realize they neglected the brands and that there's a massive opportunity for the to help the brand service or understand more that's happening at a consumer retail level and giving brands tools to connect with the consumer through loyalty to drive actions all this right there's this really massive opportunity and need in it and then plus what we get excited about is what's that data look like when you start bringing wholesale and retail data together how can we do automated reordering or suggested orders or identify merchandise gaps to give people these you know things oh you're not you need to run a promo here's a great product there's so much that can happen and i think what's going to for it to occur, for us to get there, it's gonna take a few of us kind of really coming together and have a really strategic vision of execution and being willing and able to set the resources aside, which I think is the challenge in this space is we all have our roadmaps, we're all moving a million miles an hour and we're constantly building, 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 right? But how much are we really optimizing our existing features to drive more value in the market? And I think there's always that crux or that kind of balance between the two. And I'm just excited because I think there's a real opportunity between wholesale and point of sale and loyalty to really change the direction of some way the industry is being run today and really power it more and address a really big challenge that's been super unaddressed. And I think that's where things, there's this cool opportunity I think we're really excited about. I think the market overall should hopefully be excited about what, what maybe can come down the line. Yeah, man, those features like forecasting, reordering, material resource planning, um, all of that kind of manufacturing jargon that for those who aren't in the cannabis industry or the manufacturing side of the business is essentially being able to monitor all of your inventory, making sure you have everything you need all of the time, making sure you know what is making the most profit, what you need to sell, you know, if it's concentrates versus pre-rolls in a particular city or market, pulling decisions like that is so important. And in the ERP realm and in most cannabis software that I've participated in in the past, that's been like the holy grail still. Even if there are MRP features or forecasting-esque features, 
they typically take some significant legwork on the users to to make those tools work. So I think that is something um, something to call out. You know that it takes some more teamwork across some of these bespoke solutions to try to pull that together. Well, it does. And, it's big lift, right? I think what we're and it's still the case, right? Today, right? And this is what we encounter a lot of the time with our technology, right? Is that like there's still a big swath of the market, right? That would still rather knowingly run on a spreadsheet they would rather send a cell excel of, of their inventory never have it live updated always go back and forth with the buyer manually create orders manually send testing and do everything manually right because they'd be like oh well it's how i've done it it's how it works it's this thing right and i think there's still a big swath of the market whether that's wholesale Maybe you can't do it in point of sale, but even if you go back to like MRP production side, right? They're like, ah, maybe not. And I think this is where these challenges start to occur, right? Is that the operators themselves maybe still don't see the value in what we deliver, right? There's a lot, there's a lot of clients that we've had that said, Yeah, we just see you as a as a sales generation tool, ability to market our products and stuff. And we're like, Well, yeah, but like we're also a CRM. We're also an email marketing tool. We're also a storefront. We're also workflow and task management, all your automation, all your integrations. And and it's the clients. Task that management market. are two of my favorite words. I know, right? <laughs> and it's like, and won't say implement it, right? And they're like, oh my God, get light bulbs, game over, right? And it's sticky. It's the convincing to people to evolve. And I think there's this resistance in cannabis, especially in the West Coast, to evolve and change, right? to embrace new technology, to embrace a new way of doing sales, to embrace a new way of that. And that maybe because they've been burnt in the past, right? They've had bad experiences in the past, right? Yeah. Which I understand. A lot of factors. But I think we're all kind of realizing that like, not only does the ecosystem need to connect, but I think that the market in itself needs to champion and get behind some of these, these visions, these opportunities, because it will shape and change the paradigm of what the market's going through. And I mean, just like in like we've some we've been excited about is like this idea of loyalty is like bringing loyalty into wholesale and wholesale today. Everyone just discounts to get sales, right? That's their motivator to get a sale, right? Well, how would it be just if I came into your store and I said, Rob, hey, first sale with me, man, I'm going to do a thousand dollars of sponsored marketing for your store with my brand to drive consumers to you. What do you think of that? And you're like, dude, no one's ever approached me about that. I, I just, you know, instead of a price break, why don't I actually mar spend in marketing? to pass that forward to you, but all while it's helping consumers connect with my brand. It's get, helping my brand equity increase, right? It's this thing. And the reason that's not happening is because we don't have the tools, the physical tools to do it today. And I think this is where like, we're always thinking in that direction is like, how can we change the paradigm of what wholesale businesses have to go through today? Because right now it's always a race to the bottom and race to the bottom. What happens race to the bottom? All the small operators, they get forced out and typically the only ones survive are ones who establish a great brand at the beginning or they are big, they got a lot of money behind them, right? And I think right. that ultimately the passion of the product isn't always those. It's the ones that get lost in the market, right? And because they didn't have the sophistication or the tools, or the know-how, it's not because they didn't produce amazing products that really helped people. And so it's right. just- There could be some true craftsmanship at those levels that just can't- There's a unique position of the market right now that I think we're seeing occur. And it will be really- we're intrigued to see where everything kind of flushes out this this year in some certain markets like a Massachusetts, for instance. You know. Oh yeah, there's going to be some news over there on the east, and I think the market's honestly leaning in your favor there as brands are quickly gaining more momentum on their own and and becoming more of a an element of the industry, uh, able to 
you know, fill shelves at every price bracket or offer products across a brand portfolio and take advantage of like modern or non-cannabis marketing and brand knowledge to differentiate in the cannabis industry is becoming the challenge and that's really the way to do it. So empowering those brands in any way allows that to keep building and um, keep trying to make a mark on their, on their users or consumers. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the interesting things there on the brand side is that I think a lot of cannabis brands get caught up into marketing to the, the heavy cannabis consumer, right? Like, the picture of the person puffing that vape or holding that joint or that blunt or that thing, we all tend to market like this is going to get you high, right? This is that thing, it's that <laughs> cannabis culture thing. We get caught up in it. You know what we're all neglecting? And the brand side is, and like we're talking to some big media groups about this that are starting to get into cannabis is like, you know, you need to be marketing to that demographic that doesn't, doesn't know you. Right. You need to, if I'm an, if I'm a, you know, a lower dose edible, right? Like, I don't need to be marketing to the cannabis channels. I need to be going and marketing to women over 48 that have kids that, you know, love white wine and this, right? Like that it's broadening, broadening our vision of cannabis brands and a cannabis industry to say, you know, this isn't just for the cannabis people. This is for that broader market. How do we reach them? How do we message them in a way that it's not scary, right? Like I have, I have aunts and uncles who will not go to a dispensary. A little too it's a little too much on the edge. And it's too, it's too, it's too peripheral. It's kind of edgy. It's there. It's gives, they're uncomfortable. They're older. They don't know. They're going to be talking to someone in their twenties. Like, Oh, they, it just doesn't feel right <laughs> yeah. to them. So what do they do? They reach out to me and say, Hey, I'm suffering from X, Y, and Z. Can you send me something? Right. <laughs> and that's still the problem in Canada because no one's talking to them. The Spencers aren't talking to them. The brands aren't talking to them. And therefore right. they don't feel, they don't feel accepted and they don't feel welcomed. And I think it does feel would, like a, yeah. It does feel like kind of a double-edged sword on the branding front and that a lot of the brands do try to market towards that like consummate stoner image, that all-day consumer, which I I am an all-day consumer at times, but at other times I'm very sobered up and, and staying busy with other things. But being that type of, of consumer, those brands that try to advertise, they don't win me over by showing a guy smoking a blunt. You know, it's like, I can do that. I do that regularly. It's all fine. But I think then for someone outside of the industry, that could still be too much. And that's where I think some edibles and like just other methods of consumption have more, uh, more options outside of the space as far as bringing in those new eyes. But that's definitely something to think about as a brand is really how to open the doors wider instead of segment the already segmented target audience even further. Yeah, it's like, how do you niche it even more, right? And it might be, <laughs> hey, we're going to produce the same similar gummy, right? Or similar this. So it's hard to really, unless, again, like you can differentiate if you really got something special. But in, the, in right. people are going to emulate rep, they're going to copy you and there'll be something similar on market, Like, right? oh, my peach flavored gummies <laughs> are And it's nano emulsified, so it's this, right? Or it's rosin <laughs> and now I'm using rosin as the oil instead. Okay, great. Card your niche out, own it for a little while, right? See where it goes. Like, totally get it. That's what you got to do. But on the other right. side was like, Okay, not just innovation of products, the innovation of who we're going to, right? Who we're marketing to, how we're approaching our brand, how we're approaching our messaging. And that's the same thing. It's like, you know, if one brand came and said, we're just going to focus on this demographic that no one, and we're going to make them come to dispensaries, we're going to somehow get them to come to dispensaries to buy. You know, that's where we start to change. Again, the destigmatization, but also then you have a brand that's helping 
older generations or people who were familiar maybe more uncomfortable with cannabis to be really welcoming and comfortable with it and then they tell mm. more people and starts to spread the love of what this plant can really do and so i think there's that right i mean i said this you know when i started can in the cannabis industry nine years ago someone asked me like what's something you think about the future i was like the products you see on the shelf today will not be the products you see in 12 years right meaning <laughs> they'll be they'll have some same things but they'll have different form and factors right they'll have different ingredients they'll have different ways that they're produced they'll have different you know, again, I mean, you're starting to see more minor cannabinoid type balanced ones. Now you're seeing more CBN, oh, right? Now CBN's the wonder cannabinoid for sleep and all these things, right? And I think we're starting to see this innovation of the endocannabinoid system and what it can do from a product delivery standpoint, but also the way in which the products are produced, right? What goes into them? What, you know, and I think that's where it starts to get really interesting. And I, and I, I think it's somewhat unfortunate, but also it's like, the, the headwinds of in, 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 the cannabis industry is facing today is going to create some innovation, but I think it will slow some innovation down as well. So it'll just be interesting to see where it plays out. You know? Yeah, right. It's it's an industry that will always be innovative, I think, just because of its founding. But it's definitely in a kind of a, a growing stage here now with, uh, with all of the investors, everyone getting maybe a little antsy for federalization, a little antsy for those quarterly profits and... Or, and or kind of like as you were saying before business operators just coming to the truth of it with the cost of their operations or the true cost of manufacturing uh, what they're what they're creating whether it be innovative or not i mean i also for the sake of innovation i will say like a peach gummy is still a long way from a fruit snack i'm happy to see that fruit snacks innovated in the time that we've been alive you know <laughs> by adding thc and now adding secondary metabolites that could get even more interesting i'd eat some terpene fruit snacks that's like right man yeah one was terpeneline one was like awesomine we'll humanine. see what happens right you know i've actually <laughs> got some i got some little terpene samples right here from our friends at arcane aromatics where we're doing a little uh trying to create the essence of new england uh, with terpenes Ooh. right now so it's kind of cool but uh that's awesome i yeah, love that, man, I mean, that science that, behind it and that's the other thing too it's like the terpenes the you know the the, the expansion of the endocannabinoid and the understanding the system and all the different you know cannabinoids that can use and what their benefits are starting to do research i mean we're just on the horizon of what this plant is going you know and medicine's truly going to evolve to and i think you'll see this separation bigger degree of separation between the industry of medicinal and recreational, right? And you're truly going to have medicinal products, you have recreational products, and the medicinal products are obviously going to be driven through, you know, pharmaceutical, you know, the pharmaceutical industry ultimately, right? You really will have uh, just actually finding its way there finally. Yeah. After and all I this kind it, of struggle. <laughs> and it's needed, right? There are people who like, again, like my aunt who, you know, had suffers from odd things. She has an opioid addiction, right? And she's like, hey, they're not giving me as much opioids anymore, right? Like my prescription lasts me a week now. It used to last me a month. I need something <laughs> to replace this, right? Well, got her a uh, one-to-one tincture of uh, THC CBN, right? And she had her, for a full week, her first week of complete sleep through the night for a week, first time in five years, right? Even wow. with the opioids, right? Now she's not having to take as many opioids, all these other things. The one thing she did say is I woke up, I took two Two, two drops or two doses one night thinking, ah, whatever, and woke up feeling really kind of lightheaded and dizzy. And I was like, yeah, it's because you're really stoned, you know? So, like, <laughs> it was one of those where she's still learning about the THC side, but. Right. You know, kind I of how to consume or what her, where her own thresholds are. But just seeing game, that success right? yeah. is crazy. Like, think about her. There are hundreds of thousands of people just like her in Missouri, right? That suffer from the same thing, right? All these senior citizens, all these elder people have been overprescribed lots of, you know, prescription drugs. And now they're stuck and they're addicted and they have these issues and they can't deal with the pain because now it's, you know, being yeah, pulled back dude. from them. 
this is where cannabis has this opportunity. And I just think the, the challenge sometimes, again, in that state is that she, I couldn't find the product for her in that state that she it, needed, right? right. That I trusted. It wasn't the right form factor or yeah. the right kind of delivery method or ver verbiage kind of and to so present it. It's know? where it gets all interesting, right? And so I think the industry still has a long ways to go, but it's exciting to be in it. And, and you know, it's exciting to see how much it's evolved even over the last nine years. And and for where I think it's ultimately going to head, you know, as well. Yeah, it's definitely wild. Sometimes it's it's kind of hard too to to have relatives, you know, with with pain or with something like that going on, and you know, to kind of like half-heartedly, like jokingly recommend cannabis, knowing they're not going to take it seriously. But then when it when it really could actually benefit them, right? That's hard. So you know, having having something to go on that's. Uh, safer maybe for lack yeah. of better words or like a little more curated i guess is better um it's definitely definitely lucrative i think from the brand perspective is to capitalize or look at some of those demographics for the profit of the brand but i mean also just for the well-being of the community for the society like for the health of all these folks um I've, i forgot that you were from branson actually i i grew up on the kansas side of kansas city and okay. i think we've it we've ignored it long enough so uh Go Chiefs. I see those. Uh, there, I see yeah, that, there. <laughs> that helmet behind you. I tried to let it be because everyone's only going to hear us. But uh, I grew up on uh, in Olathe, Kansas. So we definitely are excited for the Super Bowl run this year, man. I'm looking forward to the next year. Yeah, me too. Well, you guys <laughs> could just hop across the border, right? And you know, Kansas probably has a little ways to go before it passes. You know? Oh, man. But Someone was telling me that there's a Missouri dispensary that's literally on state line. So if you turn left out of the parking lot, you commit a federal crime. But if you could, if you turn right, you stay in Missouri. It's probably the busiest dispensary in the whole state, you know, like, I, I don't know why, why that's where we need that data. Right. To yeah, really understand. It's, you know, it's like, you know, they've had things about, you know, in like Oregon, for instance, the, you know, the dispense, the four, the six dispensaries that border Idaho do more volume than like 400 other dispensaries put together. Right. The same, we have a client in Colorado out in Palisades, right? Grand Junction area. Same thing right on the border of Utah, busiest store every weekend in the whole state, right? And so it's one of those things you got to say, yeah, you got a red state next door, but they love their cannabis and let they, the, you know. Right, you know, they may be red on the outside, but they're green on the inside, huh? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I've definitely seen that um, that approach. And I mean, on, this, on the completely opposite end, though, to play devil's advocate, you know, as someone who just who smokes concentrates or prefers like a, a headier smoke. I, I don't always like all that whitewashing, removing the the nature of what the industry was and is. And I think there's like legacy growers that feel a lot of connection to that as well. So I can see, like, I definitely don't want to argue that it should be only one way, right? We need those. We do still need those stoner brands to, to ring true to the industry and to the community and kind of reflect where we've all still been and where we've yeah, come from. I mean, I'm a flower smoker through and through, right? So you're not going to find me, you know, typically that's my preferred mechanism flower, okay. of consumption, right? And so nice. I'm the same, man. Like, you know, I go into the store, you know, into a, into a dispensary and if I don't already know the grower I'm looking for, right? It's like pull out the stuff that's the terpiest, the best nose. Show me the just terps. something that's going to make me almost sneeze when I smell it, right? Or it's going to make me feel tired when I smell it or feel like I want to sit down, right? Or have a cookie or whatever it is, right? That's the first thing that I think about, right? When I go to buy and I'm the same, right? I love, like my passion has always been the farm side and the legacy cultivation side, right? It's always been my passion. I love small craft cannabis, right? I I get more excited going into a 5,000 5, square foot 
you know, biodynamic, the regenerative soil grow that has this suit and they're doing their own breeding and all this. Like I get more excited going into that than I do a 500,000 square foot big commercial grow, right? This is not as sexy to me, right? I love the small crop side and I agree. I think there's going to be really this separation in cannabis, right? You're going to have your smaller super, I mean, think about it as beer in a way, right? I don't like to use the exact correlation because I think there's a lot of differences in it, but ultimately you have craft, small craft, both local or within a state, right? With a, a, a state distributor, a regional distributor in specific things. And it's all craft, right? And everything's seasonal beers and this and that, and they have their staples, their three or four staples, but everything else is a seasonal variety. That's just innovative, right? It's always innovative. And I think we're going to find that in cannabis. And I think that's the root of where, you know, again, their cousins, right? Hops and cannabis. So it's like, they're going to have that. It's going to be part of it. Right. And then I think you're going to have the other side, which is the commercial side. I think the thing is, is yeah. that people in the middle and that's where the challenge is. And that's where it will get really interesting. Kind of but finding me, that or fleshing out. Always craft cannabis. I hope there's always craft flour. <laughs> I hope there's always craft concentrates. I hope I can always go and find that awesome, you know, whatever, like I want, that has to be true in this industry. I think it always will be. I just get concerned sometimes that the government ultimately is creating structures and hurdles at a place that only enable the commercial, big commercial people to be successful. That's the challenge. I think that was elegantly put the regulatory, the, the no state has gotten it right yet. Let's say that. Right. I mean, in Massachusetts alone, right. They have a rule where, when you go to renew your cultivation license, if you haven't sold through more than if you have haven't sold through more than seventy percent of your harvest, right? They downscale your canopy by that much, right? So if I have only sold through sixty percent of my harvest, forty percent of my canopy is supposed to be decreased, right? Wow. They were supposed to do this law; they never enacted it. But if they would have, what would happen right now? The market wouldn't be where going down as much as it was if they just came back and said, "Hey, you didn't sell through all your stuff. We're limiting your canopy down," right? There's rules and they've tried. I think though, like the states don't work with economists enough, like Bo Whitney or actually people who study the industry in and out to help them inter- inform what a true healthy market would be from a canopy, from a license standpoint, from a population consumption standpoint, from a price standpoint. So it's healthy. They're all just, you know, it's the balance of money <laughs> versus healthy market, right? And what does all government do? What is government go? Money, right? We all right. go to the money, right? And I, we've had yet to get it right. And I think that's the challenge, right? Or if it's a limited license market, it's the money of the limited license holders that's influencing the politicians. So either way, money is deriving what the decision is. It's not actually what's best for the, the overall market or the overall consumer base or whatever. And I think that's the Definitely. challenge that we'll see if the government, if the state agencies can start to figure out and you think they fumbled it, you think federal legalization is going to be better We'll see. You know, <laughs> Whatever gets blanket rolled out with a few uh, few experts a- yeah, advice be, at that it's level. Inter- it'll be interesting. You know? Yeah, it's, so it's definitely not a cannabis problem, right? It's a societal, it's a human problem kind of with that balance of profit and and the correct actions or profit and the greater good. Yeah. It's a lot going on there. I've been reading a book called The Dispossessed, a sci-fi novel by Ursula K. Le Guin, where... Um, Basically, Earth sends half the population to the moon at some point, and they live like an anarchist weird way on the moon, but a capitalistic way on Earth. And a guy is trying to unite the two um, and really explore that conversation. Like, what does it mean? Why do humans always try to own and profit as soon as they get involved? Or why do they introduce complex hierarchies to 
introduce more positions on a ladder to have more middle folks just to cut the power more when it mm-hmm. actually doesn't behoove the society or you know change anything. So I think there's there's plenty to be said in research there, man. I, I hope yeah. cannabis can figure it out uh, for I the greater so, good. You know, and, and, and we'll see, you know, and it, and it is hard, right? You want to create a free market. You want to create an open opportunity, right? You want to be able to make this, when the same sense it's just that balance, right? And it's a hard balance, you know, it really is. And, and we'll see, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's now, I think as the issues in the West start to trickle out East right now, I think the conversation starts to become a national conversation, not just a, Oh, well, Oregon, you grow too much weed as it is and California grow too much weed as it is. That's really just a factor of your guys's historical history of cannabis right <laughs> well now we know it's happening in markets they didn't necessarily have that and so that gets right. a little the, the the conversation changes i think and the discussion changes you know definitely yeah and that's a that's an ongoing discussion as as things evolve here i'm looking forward to see what the industry brings to us here around the corner and just want to thank you again for for joining us on the show today man where can folks find out more about you and the uh, perhaps yeah. apex trading yeah find us uh you know me i mean linkedin you know just look me up john Manlove. there aren't too many man loves out there so it should be pretty easy to find me i'm probably the only one in the cannabis space so you're good there uh and then yeah apextrading.com you know if you're a you know a cannabis brand or retailer or really just interest overall about the market you know we're we're here you can find us there and buy you know, submit a form and, and learn more Right on, man. Yeah, and uh, definitely I'll throw my hat there as uh, props at previous employers. Apex was definitely a system I was looking to integrate with as a product manager. So I think, folks, there's some uh, there's some features to improve your brand. Well, thank, thank you again, John. Appreciate it. Thanks, Rob. Thank you for listening to the Apartment 113 podcast. For more information about the show and our range of services, visit apt113.com. We offer certified ganja reviews, content writing, cannabis software and operations consulting, bud tender training, and more. With over a decade of experience in the cannabis industry, Apartment 113 is here to help.